Welcome to Reality Student Ministries, and thanks for listening. We are all about learning how to live this life to the fullest, getting the most out of every day. For information on upcoming events, sermon series, and ways to connect, be sure to check us out online at reality.painesvilleag.com, as well as like our Facebook page at RSM. Now here is today's message. What's been cool about this series that we've been doing, what's been awesome about this is we've been looking at the Gospel of John and we've been looking at this whole imagery of of who Jesus is and who he's calling us to be. And all of a sudden we see that these stories and these miracles that, that Jesus did back then are not just stories about what he's doing back then and all that's really great, but actually they are a picture of what God wants to do in our life right now. And so we've been talking over the past uh, several weeks about that, so I really encourage you guys to do that. Um, get online. Um, and it's not just for you guys, but man, uh, why not trap a friend in uh, the car and be like, hey, let's go to like, some place that's like 30, 45 minutes away, and while we're going, I'm going to share this uh, sermon with you, right? People have done that with me. It's like, oh, great. Um, but it, it's one of those things that it's not just for you. It's for your parents. It's for your friends. It's, for, it's a way that people that never come in these doors might encounter God's love. Here's a question for you. Have you ever had a homework assignment that seems impossible? Like, it was like, dude, teacher, I hate you so much right now, right? Like, in college, my one professor would be like, hey, Donnie, I need you to read this book. I'm like, Poof. all right, that's 500 pages right there, and we're going to have a test over it next week. Okay. And then I go to, like, the next class, and uh, it's different teacher. They're like, oh, Donnie, I need you to read this book. Poof. 300 pages. And we're having a test on it by the end of the week. What? And they, like, go to the next one, and it's like... Why? I feel like all you teachers get together and like, <laughs> let's make this impossible, right? And it's, you get this feeling of, I can't do this, right? Uh, so Some of you might feel that way. You're like, you, it might be math that you cannot figure out these math problems. It might be uh, science that it's just like, this doesn't make sense. Like, it's impossible. I do not want to dissect this pig. That's disgusting, right? Um, it might be something else. And so it, it might just seem impossible for you to actually do this. Here's, I want to tell a story about a guy that had some impossible homework back in 1939. Long time ago, right? Back in 1939, there was at the Cal Berkeley um, University, there is a statistics teacher and he, he put up on the board two famously impossible equations. No one has solved them. It's impossible to solve these two statistic equations. And he, he put it up on the board and he was talking about it to the class. He goes, in life you will have some impossible problems. You will have have some impossible things that you just can't figure out. No one on earth has ever figured these equations out. And so uh, he, he goes on and talks about kind of the impossibility of some, some of life's problems. And then he starts talking about homework. All right, guys, uh, your assignment is going to be, um, and he started to assign them some, some reading and some other things. Well, this guy named George Danzig walks in kind of around the homework time frame. And he kind of sits down and he's like, oh, man, he's, he's giving out homework. And so he looks up at the board and sees these two problems, equations, and he thinks that must be what he's talking about. I should write those down. That's probably the homework. And so now he is thinking in his mind that these two problems that are actually impossible to solve, but he didn't realize that, 
are actually the homework assignment. And so he takes them home, and, you know, he knows when the homework assignment's supposed to be due, and so he's doing them, he's like, man, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. He actually ends up turning it in late. Um, and there comes a weekend when uh, it's a Sunday morning, and he's in his apartment, and he hears this, and it's his professor. And he's like, what in the, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't realize it was that important, I'm sorry, it's late, it took me a lot longer than I thought it was going to be, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, it was going to be that hard. And the professor goes, do you know what you've done? He's like, what, I turned it in late, I'm sorry. He goes, you have just solved two of the world's most impossible equations for statistics that's never been done before. You have just done something that has never been done before. See, George didn't realize that they were actually impossible. He didn't realize that they were impossible. He thought that they were just super hard uh, equations. I love this quote by Henry Ford. It says this, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And this is the whole idea we talked about last week about sanctified expectations. See, George Danzig didn't see the impossible. And often when it comes to following God, we must realize that faith, and that's the first fill in the blank, faith is unlearning every assumption except how good God is. See, a lot of times we put this caveat on, no, 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 I need, to, I need to get better, I need to do this. No, see, this is an impossible thing, Donnie, you don't understand. My parents are never going to get back together. You don't understand that um, our finances, we're bankrupt, we're, we're poor, this is never going to happen. You don't understand this health issue is not going to get resolved. This is impossible, Donnie, it's impossible for God to do anything in this circumstance. It's just not logically uh, correct, and we got to realize that faith is literally unlearning every assumption. Oh, it can't happen. It's not going to happen. I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to be a good student. I'm never going to be that sibling that, that doesn't argue. I'm never going to be mom or dad's favorite. I'm never going to be this thing. Faith is unlearning every assumption except one, and that's how good God is, that God has a plan for you, that God has a purpose for you, that God has a vision for you, and he's a good God that desires good for you. We're going to look at another unsolvable, impossible problem, and we're going to look at it in the Gospel of John. And uh, under your seat, under your, uh, your, your note sheet, you would, you'll find a couple uh, Swedish, Swedish fish. That's like my favorite candy uh, besides Reese's. Uh, and if you don't know, uh, if you haven't thought of it yet, now everyone's like, it's okay. Um, if you don't uh, if that hasn't given you a clue, we are talking about the five loaves and the two fishes. Yes, I gave you more than two fishies. Um, it's the five loaves and the two fishes. So uh, what we're talking about, here's the unsolvable problem. Five plus two equals what? Seven. You are so wrong. So wrong. Five plus two does not equal seven. Actually, five plus two equals roughly around 20,000. You're saying, what? If you've read the story, you understand that it says Jesus feeding the 5,000. No offense, ladies, but scholars say that when they counted that they actually didn't um, count the women or the children. They actually only counted the men. And so the 5,000 that they refer to is actually the men uh, in the crowd. So Jesus feeding the 5,000 is what the, uh, what the title is, except for the reality is uh, there's women and children. And scholars say that there's roughly 15,000 to 20,000 people there in total. 
That's a lot of people. So five plus two equals about 20,000. Some of you guys are like, huh? All right, so let's read this. John 6, verse 1, and you can, uh, you can follow along up on the screen, or you can uh, pull it up on your phone or your tablet or whatever you got. It says this, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where is the nearest Panera? No, he didn't say that. Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, six months' wages would not uh, buy enough bread for each of these to get just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishies, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. And now there is a great deal of grass in this place, so they sat down. About 5,000 in all, again, that's just counting the men, is what uh, scholars are saying. So it's about 20,000, 15 to 20,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they had filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. There is another uh, modern day illustration of this. Actually, Pastor Steve uh, experienced this just a couple weeks ago. He went to a conference in Detroit. And at this conference, there was about 3,000 people there. And uh, one of the things was, hey, you registered with your registration, you get food, you, right? We're going to provide a lunch for everyone, for all 3,000 of you that are here. Um, and so uh, what happened was on the day that the, the conference was going on, um, the, the catering company, which happened to be Panera, was actually running late. And so uh, the person at the conference called him and was like, hey, did you guys uh, get lost? Maybe you need different directions. Can I help you find your way? And they go, what are you talking about? Well, we have you guys down for catering 3,000 people. Oh, we have that on another date. Dude. Like, that, for me, that already, just telling that story stresses me out. Like, I'm very, for myself, I'm very organized and structured. Uh, some people don't believe that I am, but it's like, that is a communication nightmare. Like, all of a sudden, who dropped the ball? Like, you're fired, right? That is crazy. So, uh, Pastor Steve was saying that they actually... Um, they moved one session that was going to be after lunch to before, and they said, okay, we're just going to wait an hour, and we're going to have lunch after this next session. And so all the volunteers started calling every pizza place in a 10-mile radius of this venue. And guess what? Within one hour, they were able to serve pizza to over 3,000 people. That's a crazy, awesome miracle. And to the pizza people, they were like, hallelujah, right? Like so much money. And Panera was like, oh my gosh, we're screwed, right? And so what's crazy is that that's like, that's a modern day feeding of the 5,000. It's just crazy to think how God still does that. But this is what I want us to get from this, is this, that our God is a God of multiplication, 
That he's a God that has more left over than when he started with. You say, what? Like, it's like you would have Thanksgivings coming up. I love, the best part about Thanksgiving for me is the leftovers. Like, I love getting the turkey. This is my favorite leftover for Thanksgiving, is getting turkey with the bread and then putting cranberry stuff on top of it and a little bit of stuffing and eating that as a sandwich. Oh, so good in my tummy. Right? So good. So uh, it's like you're eating your, your meal. Oh, the turkey looks great. All the cranberry sauce, all the stuffing, the green bean casserole, that looks great. And, and then you're like uh, putting it back into the fridge and, and you put it back in the fridge. You're like, oh, maybe I'll just have a little bit more. And you open it up and there's like three turkeys all of a sudden in there. You're like, what in the world? Right? Okay, they're not alive. Uh, you're like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? Right? It's like God has more left over than what he started with. That doesn't make sense, right? But our God is a God of multiplication. I love what Deuteronomy 7 verse 13 says. He says, it says this, talking about God. He will love you. He will bless you. He will multiply you. He will multiply you. And what's awesome is he does the same thing in our lives, not just with food, but he does the same thing in our hearts and in our lives. And when we give them our lives, even though we might not feel like it's much, right? We might feel like our lives in, in and of themselves are, is kind of like the five loaves and the two fish. It's like, there's, this really isn't that much, God. But he takes our life and he uses our life for more than we could ever hope for, dream of, or imagine. And even the leftovers of our life, he does more with the leftovers of our life than we could do if we had never given him our life to begin with. That's how awesome our God is. And so you look at the story, and my question is this. Why did Jesus even talk to Philip? Like, yes, Philip was kind of the guy that knew that area. And so technically he would be the one that you would uh, logically go to uh, to ask where the nearest Panera or Pizza Hut or uh, Chipotle was, right? Here's a grain of rice for you and you, and right? Uh, and so he asked Philip, but he, I love what that next verse says. He asked him to test him. Because he already knew what he was going to do. Because Jesus could have easily just made the food appear. Been like, boom. As you're sitting down, there's going to be manna that magically floats into your lap. Oh, okay, thanks, Jesus. Man, this is awesome. Right? That could have easily happened. Except for Jesus didn't do that. He wanted to test Philip. And what's crazy is, if you look at, if you look at uh, the chronological order of Jesus' miracles, Google it, like, chronological Jesus miracles. You can see that this miracle is, is roughly around the 19th or 20th miracle that Jesus had performed in his lifetime. So his disciples, including Philip, would have seen all these miracles leading up to it. So it would have been one of those, well, duh, Jesus, do something. I know you're going to make, like, awesome green beans out of the grass or something. Like, what, what are you going to do, right? I mean, at that point, I, f I feel like the disciples would, would just be, like, coming up with stuff. Hey, make cotton candy out of that cloud. Yeah, no, 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 make a chicken wing out of that boot over there. It's going to be awesome, right? Like, I, would, I feel like the disciples would just get crazy. If you've seen all of these miracles that Jesus has done, why not get, like, absurd with your request and be like, dude, Jesus, you can do anything. Let's just make an awesome meal out of this, right? And so, but he didn't do that. Have you ever heard uh, people saying, you can even read it in the Bible, just, Jesus, would you just do another miracle and we would believe? 
Sometimes even I would say that, God, if you would just give me an A on this test, I would serve you. I would never mess up. If you would just get rid of this thought pattern, this addiction in my life, I would serve you. I would never do anything wrong again. If you would just do one more miracle in my life, if you would just heal my grandma, my grandpa, my uncle, my aunt, my, my parents, don't let them get divorced. If you would just do this miracle, I would know that you're real and I would serve you forever. If you would just do this, right? And yet that's... That's a lie that we often tell ourselves because even if God does that, we still are like, oh, man, this life is so hard. God, if you would just do this then, if you would just do this. And we see time and time again that even those miracles, just because we see them doesn't necessarily mean that, we've, that we start to believe him. And so the reality is God could show up in person and some people would still not believe. Even his own disciples didn't trust him, didn't know how to trust him in this circumstance that seemed unsolvable. Now, Andrew, the other guy, he showed up, and I mean, at least he had something. In his mind, he was like, well, at least I'll try to, I got enough food for maybe, you know, the 12 of us and you, Jesus. Like, shh, don't tell anyone else. We'll just keep this kid and eat all his lunch, right? Like, uh, like he was like, hey, I got like a couple loaves of bread and some fish. Um, I don't know what that's going to do for all them, but at least we could eat, right? Um, but what the thing is, that's not what God wanted to do. He, wanted, he didn't just want to supply for the disciples' needs. Hey, look, I brought, I brought a boy that could supply just for your needs. No, no, he wanted to supply for everyone. And, and this is what's cool is we got to come to this point and realize that our life, that in this life we will have trouble. He even says that, John 16, verse 33. God knows that we will have problems, but he wants us to know that he has a plan. Because even following after God, there are problems that are going to happen, right? And there's good problems that are going to happen. Having 5,000 uh, slash 20,000 people show up, that's a good problem to have. To hear God's word come out of Jesus, that's a good problem to have, right? Like in church world here, uh, there's, there's good problems and bad problems. Um, zero people show up on a Sunday morning. That's a bad problem. Like uh, where would everyone go? That's a bad problem. Here's another problem. Um, 2,000 people show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, where do we sit them all? I don't, we don't have enough parking. We don't have enough this. Oh, my goodness, it's so hot in here. Where's the air conditioning? Like, all of a sudden, bad problem. Uh, but, but what the reality is, is it's, it's a good problem to have. And, and the thing is, following Jesus isn't going to get rid of all the problems in your life. Sometimes following God just means that there's a good problem, but still, it's a problem in our eyes. Has anyone ever heard this, this, um, this radio uh, broadcast? And it, it used to be on TV. If you're old, you've seen it. Um, it, it goes kind of like this. Beep, beep, beep. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. You will return to your local channel in a few seconds. This is only a test. Right? Like, uh, if, if you're older, you, you know what that is, and, and uh, some of you guys might have heard it on the radio and stuff. It's like, I love that. Beep, beep. This is only a test. Right? I've never actually heard it when it's not a test, but this is, this is the reality. Is life is full of those. Beep, beep, beep. This is a test of your faith. Don't worry. You will get through this. Right? It's one of those ideas that, that life is full of tests. Life is full of tests. Guess what? If you don't take a test, if you don't pass those tests, 
You don't graduate from high school. You don't actually graduate from this year. If you don't pass the test, you don't get to become a 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grader, right? Like if you don't if you don't get a good grade on the test, you can't go to the next level. Um, I'm thankful for this one. If you don't pass the test, you don't get a driver's license. Some of you guys I'm really thankful for. And some of you guys have taken multiple tests, like over and over and over again, right? And so it's one of those things that if you don't pass the test, you don't get a driver's license. Thank goodness, right? Uh, if you don't take a test, you don't get the degree in college. Here's the thing. No tests in life equals no testimony. If you don't have a test, then you can't pass it. You can't graduate. There's no testimony. And I believe that God does the same thing in our life. He wants us to learn something right now, and he won't graduate us until we pass the test. Until we pass the test. Jesus asked Philip to test him. Our next uh, series, sermon series, is what you saw. It's called My Story. And, and we'll be looking at our testimony and how we're called to live this life of adventure and live life on mission. And, and Jordan Smucker is an awesome guy from North Canton, and he's going to be coming and sharing that first week about living on mission. And, and I hope that you not only come, but I hope that you invite some friends because this is going to be a powerful time to where we start to look at, God, how do, I, how do I live this life that you've called me to live? with this amazing testimony, and how do I share that? How do I live life on mission? Back to what, I'm, what we're talking about tonight. Everyone knows somebody that's been like a Christian for a long time, right? Does anyone know somebody that's been like going to church for like longer than a year, right? And so how about longer than like two years? How about longer than 10 years? How about longer than 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? Man, some of you people know a lot of people. That's impressive. Um, a thousand years? What in the world? That's impossible, right? Here's the reality. Is sometimes we know people that have been going to church or say they love God for like 25 years. And it's like, oh, wow, you've been to church your whole life. And, and we can sometimes fall into this category. But um, the thing is this. They don't have, and this is the sad truth, not everyone, but the sad truth of the majority is they don't have 25 years of faith-tested life. You know what they have? They have one year just repeated 25 times. They have one year because they can't graduate past this test that God has put in front of them. They can't get past this mentality of, I don't want to tithe. I, I can't tithe. I'm not going to do this tithing. I'm not, I trust God with a lot of things, but I'm not going to tithe. Or, or maybe it's this, you know, I trust God with a lot of things, but it, when it comes to my relationships, God can, can, can take a back seat, right? And so they have one year of, of faith, tried, tested experience just repeated time and time again because they're not passing the test. And God's not going to give you another test to pass until you pass the first one. He's not going to say, hey, well done. You now have a master's in following me when you're like, I can't write Jesus on my paper, Jay, right? When you're in like first grade theology. He's not going to give that to you. It's called you need to pass the test, because we aren't learning the lessons that God wants to teach us. God is in the teaching business. He wants you to be closer to him, guess what, next year than you are right now. He wants you to be closer and have a tight-knit relationship more uh, next year than you are right now, more in the next month than you have right now, because he wants you to be continually growing in him. See, this is what I do know. 
Every one of you is being tested right now. It might not be a big test to you. It might not be a big test to others, but it's a, still a test. You know, can, a test like, can you stay pure while you're single right now? Because if you can pass that test, it's going to be easier to remain faithful to pass the test of being faithful when you're married. Can you, can you stay uh, tithing right now and giving to speed the light right now when you have like two cents? Donnie, I just literally found this like on the floor or under the desk that was stuck with gum. It's a penny, right? Um, can you remain faithful and actually tithe and give everything that you have uh, so that God can use, use it to spread his gospel and to spread his light. Can you do that now when you don't have that much? So that when you do are making millions and making it rain, right? When you have that, you can remain faithful, right? Why would God ever bless you with millions of dollars if you can't keep $5 in your pocket for longer than like two seconds? Oh my goodness, I have $5. Let's buy candy for everyone. Yes, right? God's like, I'm not going to give you a million dollars then. Because then you're going to be like, let's buy Lamborghinis for everyone. So why would you got to pass the test? Are you encouraging to your family and friends now? Because it's going to be, if you pass that test, oh, you don't understand. They're so annoying. Can you pass the test of encouraging them even when they're annoying? Because if you can, then, then you, it'll be, you'll find it easier to pass the test of when people come against you and start talking all sorts of smack against you and start, uh, you know, downgrading you and being mean to you and you're able to still come back and, and, and love them even though they're bullying you and you're still able to speak life to them and encourage them. Are you doing, here's a, here's a fun one, are you studying and doing well and having a good attitude in school now? Ooh. Because when you get a job, it's going to be a lot easier to pass that test when, when you don't always agree with your boss, when you don't always agree with, with uh, the work that you're doing, you feel like it's mundane and all that sort of stuff. What are you doing? Are you passing the test that you have in front of you right now? So here's the question. How do we pass the tests? How do we pass the test? Four-part answer. First one, have a teachable spirit. What does that mean? Be humble. Don't pretend you know it all. Have a teachable spirit. See, Andrew uh, brought these five loaves and two fish. He said he didn't have much, but what he had, he gave. He didn't have much. He didn't really have a, a big answer. All right, God, I've thought through this. Logistically, if we travel at a rate of uh, five miles an hour walking that way, and then by the time we get back, and right, he didn't, he didn't have all the answers, but what he had, he gave. And he got, said, God, if you could take anything, would you take and use this? If you can use anything, God, would you use me? That's the kind of attitude we need to have. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't have all the answers, but if you can use anything, use me. Number two, realize that you are in a proving ground. You are in a proving ground right now. When you go through these trials and you go through these tests, you are in a proving ground. The disciples were in a proving ground at that moment of, of saying, do you really believe that? that what I said can actually happen, that I actually can provide for all these people, right? You are in a proving ground. I love this. Uh, how many of you guys have like OtterBox or LifeProof cases for your phones or anything like that? Some of you guys, anybody, anybody? All right, some of you. So here's the thing. I used to have an OtterBox and then I just got so tired of it. So now I, I'm just, I'm living life on the edge. Whew, no cover, right? Um, 
Otterbox has like 24 different tests that it does, and it takes over 283, no, 238 hours to run uh, one of their cases through the test. Why? It's a proving ground because they want to make sure that it's tried and true and that it will actually do what they say it will do, that it will actually be what it uh, says it will be. And that's what God is doing to us is he's proving and he's testing and getting us through so that we can actually be who we say we are, so that we can actually be the kind of Christians that walk in and walk in faith and, and trust God completely because he is wanting to see are they proven, are they tested, are they battle ready. See, you look at Moses. Moses' proving ground was the desert. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their proving ground, being in that fiery furnace for saying, you know what, I'm not going to look and I'm not going to even bow down to another God. I believe in my God. And so they got thrown into a fiery furnace, proving ground. Or Nehemiah, he had a cupbearer job. This job was like super insignificant. People just waited around to see if you're going to die. Talk about feeling super important. Is he dying yet? Is he dying yet? Is he dying yet? No. Oh, okay. Right? Like, super uh, insignificant job, and yet that was a proving ground to be one of the greatest men to build a wall uh, that no, no one thought was possible to do in the amount of time he did. Here's, here's the thing. Can you do a good job even in a bad environment like Nehemiah? Because that's a proving ground. Your school. Oh, you don't understand. I hate my school. It's full of a bunch of punks. I don't like it. Can you do, can you have a good attitude? And can you do a good job while you're there, even in a bad environment? You don't understand my family. Man, my mom's always on my case. My siblings are crazy. You don't understand my neighborhood. There's a bunch of people that are just running around and, and getting crazy. You just don't understand, Donnie, uh, what's going on in my life. Donnie, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand what goes in my head, uh, the depressing thoughts, the, the, the suicidal thoughts, the self-harming thoughts, the, 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 the thoughts of, of lust and, also, and pride and, and anger. Man, you don't understand, Donnie. Can you do a good job with where you're at, even in a bad environment? Even when you don't feel like uh, anything's going for you. See, this is the reality. Anyone can be excited and do good things when they love the place that they're at, when, they're, uh, when their team is winning. Anyone can be excited when their team is winning, right? I'm super stoked about the Royals right now. We just won game one of the World Series, right? We haven't won uh, a World Series in like a bazillion years. Um, I'm super stoked about it. Anyone can be excited. Guess what? I haven't cheered for the Royals until they got to this point. Like, I didn't care until I was like, oh, my goodness, they're winning. They can do awesome. So often we, we treat our life like that. Like, once it gets good, then I'm going to start working at it. Once, once my life turns around, once I get the money, once I get the, the good grades, once I get the relationship with the boy or the girl, then I'm going to start dealing with relationship issues. Then I'm going to start thinking about uh, all this other stuff that I need to deal with. But can you do a good job even in a bad environment? we got to trust God through the test. I mean, why are there proving grounds? Why, why is there this proving ground? I love this. There's proving grounds because it's about proving, one, yourself to God. Just like that otter box. Are you battle ready? Are you ready to go into, uh, into the field? It's about proving yourself to God. And it's about God proving himself to you. 
So often we think it's just about me. Oh, it's about this test. Oh, I'm a failure. I failed this test again. You know what? It's about God proving his faithfulness to you. It's about God saying, hey, guess what? I love you even though you screwed up again. I still love you. Hey, I, we're going to get through this together. Hey, I believe in you. Hey, there's an awesome plan that I have for your life. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says this. It's talking to the Israelites. It says, remember the long way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you? See, right there, teachable spirit. How do you pass the test? In order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Why does God test you? To know what is in your heart. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it and live it, to know what's in your heart. Psalm 18 verse 25 says this. It's talking to God. With the loyal you, God, show yourself loyal. See, God is going to prove himself to you. He's going to prove himself to you. Number three, it's this. Give even when it doesn't make sense. Give even when it doesn't make sense. There's going to be moments in life that just don't add up. When all of a sudden, five plus two equals three. Like, not even seven. It's like, what in the world, let alone 20,000? There's going to be times in life that it just doesn't add up. But I love this about God. It says in Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you, a good, measure, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. See, we need to get to a place, and this isn't just talking about giving of money, finances. This is talking about just, well, I'm talking about when we give, even when it doesn't make sense, we need to give of our lives, of our time, of our energy, and of our finances. And here's, here's this place. We need to get to a place where we give God our best, even in our worst. What am I talking about? Like in our confusion, in our frustration, we will desire to give God our best, even in our worst. God, that even though I don't want to go do this, I'm going to go. Even though I don't want to talk to this person, I'm going to go talk to them. Even when I don't feel like I have any money to give, God, I've been saving this money. I don't want to give it away. It's Christmas time coming up. Who cares about speed of light? We still give. We still give. Because we believe that the time that we give can make a difference. The, the dollars and the cents that we give can make a difference. I, I want you to catch this. Man, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. And when you give of yourself and when you give of your time, God restores back into you. I love what that verse says is give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Here's the thing. So many people say, I'm going to give so that God can bless me and so that I can get all this stuff. But guess what? God doesn't bless you just for you. God blesses you so that you can bless others. God doesn't give you this life just so you can live a life. God gives you this life so that you can impact the people around you and you can change and shape the culture of your neighborhood, of your community, of your school, of your family. God didn't just put you here for your own sake just because you look pretty, right? God puts you here because he wants to use you to impact a generation, to draw people closer to him. It's not about you. And here's the thing, 
Don't wait until you have 20,000 fish to give to everyone in the crowd. Don't wait until that. If you wait until it all adds up, until it makes sense, you will never do some of the things that God wants you to do. That, that kid with the five loaves and the two fish, guess what? He could have easily just kept it to himself, and he would have provided enough for himself. He would have provided, he would have been fine. But he would have never been used by Jesus for a miracle. He would have never been used by Jesus for a miracle. And we would not have been talking about this miracle over 2,000 years later. Thousands of years later, we're talking about a miracle that happened because this kid decided not to keep this little puny lunch to himself. To himself. Because he says, you know what, I'm not going to wait till it just adds up. I'm going to do it now. What do you have in your hand that you can give over to God, even though you don't feel like it's much, that God can use right now? Is it your talents? Is it your abilities? Is it your mouth? Is it, is it your position at school? Is it, is it, your, is it your, your family? What is it? Is it the finances? What is it that God can use right now that you don't feel like it's much? See, this is why we, we push Speed the Light. This is why we talk about speed the light of, of giving so that missionaries can have transportation and communication. And we talk about this word, and if you've been around church long enough, you've heard the word tithing. You know, that's, that's what we talk about when we give money. And we believe that tithing, it literally means 10% of your income. So if your parents give you $10, 10% would be $1, and that's what you give to, like, speed the light or to the church. That's, that's what tithing is. And so... This is the reality, though. God can do more with that 10%, with that dollar, than honestly you could do with the $10. God is a multiplying God, and he can do more when we give that dollar than you could do with that $10. And so when you start to realize that, you start to uh, see that God is, is a God that even though you give just a couple cents, even though you just give a couple minutes to a person in need, even though you, you just give a little bit of time to have a conversation with somebody, God can use that little conversation, that little inkling of time, and do something incredible. You, I want you to catch this, you are someone else's miracle. You are. That kid was someone else's miracle. Because he was able to give, God used that as a miracle. And so you aren't giving money when you give. You're giving your life. You aren't giving your time. You're giving your life because that's who you are. You're giving your life. And the fourth thing is this, and we'll have the team come back up and get ready, um, is this. It's give thanks. How do we pass the test? Give thanks. Give thanks. Verse 11 says this, and when Jesus had given thanks, he distributed it to them. When he had given thanks. See, I want you to catch this. Most of us would say, hey, let's give thanks after we get the food on the table, right? Hey, let's give thanks after we get the food. Oh, thank you, God, for providing for every single person out there. Like, let's give thanks after the fact. No, no, no. It says in the Bible, I love this because I never had caught it before, that Jesus had given thanks before the miracle took place. Jesus had given thanks before the miracle takes place. And, and that's what we need to get in our thinking is give thanks before the miracle takes place. Even when the miracle isn't seemingly coming through, 
You guys can go ahead and be seated. Don't get up yet. Even when the miracle isn't seemingly coming through, keep thanking God. I'm going to throw it back to the Old Testament here. It says Joshua 3, verse 5. Joshua said to the people, and see, here it is, the Israelites. The Israelites were coming up to the promised land, to all that God had created them for, all that God had promised. For some of us, it might be, hey, this is going to be an awesome time uh, in your relationship. It might be an awesome time in your family. Hey, your families are going to get back together. Hey, your neighborhoods are going to turn around. Hey, school is going to be awesome for you. Hey, finances are going to be great. That promised land is just over there, just over this river. And Joshua said, hey, I want to get everyone together. And he said this sanctify yourselves we talked about what the word sanctify means last week it means to make holy right it means get your relationship with God back on track get back with God you know what it means it means to thank God how do we get our relationship back on track with God to start thanking him for his faithfulness and so it, it talked about sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders tomorrow. In just a few moments, we're going to go back into that song that we sang earlier. And, and I want you guys to start thanking God. In one sense, start sanctifying yourself. Why? Because tomorrow, the Lord is going to do some wonders among you guys. Because tomorrow, you're going to start to see miracles and breakthroughs in the thinking, in your thought patterns, in your habits, in the addictions, in whatever you might be going through. God is going to start doing wonders in your life tomorrow. I love this. When you skip a, uh, ahead a few verses, it says this. They look at the Jordan. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. See, God isn't just a God that says, hey, let's just do a hard, I'll do a hard thing for you like stepping over a, a little creek bed, trying to balance on the rocks. He's, he doesn't even say, hey, I'm just gonna do an impossible thing for you, like actually going through a river. He wants to make it the most impossible thing that, that we can feasibly undertake. And all of a sudden, he overflows the Jordan. This river is overflowing, it's flooded. If you've ever seen a flooded river, it's destructive. You, they tell you don't ever get close to it because you have no idea what the path is going to take. It is this massive thing. And all of a sudden, you see the promise of what God has for you. And yet, right in front of you, there is an impossibility. And you have no idea how it's going to happen. It's not something you can logically figure out on your own. This doesn't make sense to me, Donnie. I don't understand how this, it's a flooded river. It's not even a trickle. It's not even a, a, you know, a little bit, I can see a land bridge or a couple rocks I can hop on. It's flooded. There's no way to cross. I love that. It said that it, hit, it overflowed the banks. So when those who had bore the ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark. These are the leaders. These are the leaders of, of the Israelites here. When their feet dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still. If it was me, I would stand here and say, all right, um, I did what Joshua told me to say. Now part the waters, God. You did it at the Red Sea. I know you can do this. Just part the waters and I'll walk across. No, no, it doesn't say that. You know what it says? When their feet, they didn't wait to see the miracle happen. They believed God. When their feet touched the water, that's when they stood still. That's when the waters split. 
See, some of us are waiting for the miracle to happen before we start to believe God. No, no, no. God, if you would just give me confidence, then I'll go and talk. If you would just give me an opportunity, then I'll go and talk. No, no, you need to start walking. You need to start walking. When your feet hit that water, that's when the water is going to stop. It says this, while all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is what's awesome about this. There are people that are around you. There are people that are coming after you that are waiting for you to step into the Jordan that are waiting for you to step into that impossibility so that when you step in, that they can cross over into everything that God has created them for. That they are waiting for you to step on that dry ground to do what God has put you there. Even though you can't see how it's going to happen, even though you don't understand what God is doing, even though it seems impossible to you, they are waiting for you so that you can forge the way so that when you step out and say, I trust God, that they can follow you and walk on dry ground and become everything that God created them for. There are classmates, there are family members, there are people in your neighborhoods that are waiting for you to step into the Jordan. They're waiting for you to step into all that God's created you for and to step into the impossibility so that they can be a part of everything that God's created them for so that they can walk through. I love that image that the priest stood while the entire nation crossed over. We need to step into the impossible so that those that come after us can walk easier. Why? Because we pass the test. Because we pass the test. We are constantly trying to get others to a closer walk with God. That's why we're here, to get others to a closer walk with God. And if that takes me walking into every river, into every stream, and saying, God, you know what? I don't know how this is going to happen because I'm trying to stay humble and I'm trying to stay teachable. I don't understand. I don't see it all. I know that this is a proving ground. If that takes me walking into everything and and possibly failing a few times, then I'm going to do it so that others can get closer to God, so that others can walk into everything that God's created them for. And the last blank is this. Trusting God starts with giving thanks even in the impossible. Trusting God starts with giving thanks even in the impossible. I go back to that verse verse 5 there. It says this, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So can we stand up tonight? In your own way, if you want to raise your hands, you can, man. But I encourage you, maybe maybe just stand there with your palms up and just simply say, God, thank you for this life that you have given me. God, I want to be a good steward of this life that you have given me. God, I thank you for the family. I thank you for my school. And I know it might be hard to say some of those thank yous. But can we just stand right now? Maybe just palms up and just in a way of saying, God, less of me and more of you. Thank you. And as we go into this song, realize that we are, we are getting to a place where we say, God, I want to sanctify myself because tomorrow you are going to do wonders among me. God, I want to sanctify myself because tomorrow I'm stepping into that impossible Jordan. I'm stepping into the impossibility so that others that come after me can see more of who you are. 
and who you have created them to be. Thanks again for listening to this message from Reality Student Ministries. Our hope is that you've learned a little bit more of who God is and who He has called you to be. For information on how you can get connected to our student ministry, be sure to check us out online at reality.painsvilleag.com or like our Facebook page at RSM. Now get out there and have an incredible day.